We are in a series that going through the book of John. And um, I love as we kind of, uh, we're kind of skipping around in this, but what we're looking at is how the book of John shows the divinity of Jesus. You see, most people in our world, they have no question uh, whether or not that Jesus is a good person. But when it comes to, is Jesus really God? That's when people push back. And that's when people have some questions. And so I, I'm kind of walking us through John here, um, and we're looking at some different stories. Today, we're going to look at it, the story of one of the miracles in John. Now, in the Gospels, um, people, you know, you can kind of count the different miracles, and depending on how you uh, kind of count them, uh, we see about 34 distinct miracles that are recorded in the Gospel. And of course, there's countless more that went unrecorded, uh, but that's what we have a record of. John's Gospel highlights seven of those miracles, and many of them are unique to the Gospel of John. And so what, really, each miracle in the book of John, it highlights kind of a different aspect of who Jesus really is. It reveals God's glory, and each one of them points to Jesus as this Jesus. He is God in the flesh. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior of the world. And so I hope that as we've been uh, going through this series, you've been learning more about who Jesus really is and what that means to your life today. I think it's so important for all of us that we have a proper understanding of who Jesus is. Um, and, but really, that's what separates Christianity from every other world religion. It's what separates Christianity from every other cult, is that we know who Jesus is. He's not just a good teacher. He's not just a good person. Uh, he really lived. He really came. He really walked throughout the streets of, uh, of you know, ancient Israel. And he really spoke. And he really performed miracles. He really lived his life. And then he went to the cross. He really died through the crucifixion. But yet the story didn't end there. And he came back to life. And because of that, that's, uh, we see that he demonstrated, he proved without a shadow of a doubt who he really was. That he was God in the flesh that, it, that had come to save us and, and bring us back to him. Um, in preparing for this morning, I was reminded of a book that we actually did a sermon series about, uh, I think it was eight or nine years ago. It was called The Grave Robber by Mark Batterson. So I don't know, there may be a few of you who were around uh, back then uh, here at Cornerstone. Um, and, uh, you know, I went back and read the chapter about this miracle that we're talking about this morning. It was really interesting because it brought back some memories of what we had studied. Um, and, and I remembered then, and I, I, just talking about illusionists. I, I, I've always been fascinated by illusionists on TV. We kind of grew up, you know, those of you around my age remember David Copperfield on TV, right? Uh, I'm showing my age a little bit here. He used to do the big, you know, he'd make something disappear. And you're like, how did he do that? You know, and you'd be, and now we've got guys like David Blaine. Uh, if you've, do you all know who David Blaine is? He does some freaky weird stuff, and I have no idea how he does it, right? You watch it, and like, is he really doing that? Is, he, is, is this an illusion, or did he train himself to do this? And there's all sorts of other people out there now doing all these illusions. Um, but when I see something like that, you know what I do? I go to YouTube and I said, and I type in, how did he do this? <laughs> right. And I want to find the trick because I know that he's not really, they're not really doing what they're pretending to do because it's an illusion. I, there, there's gotta be a trick to 
what they're doing. And so you can go on YouTube and, and look at the magicians and illusionists and say, oh, that's what they're doing. That's how they tricked us. It's not real. But when it comes to Jesus, there's no illusions. The people are like, oh, let, let's try to figure out, how was he trying to do that? The Pharisees, the religious leaders, they're like, what's the trick? How's he performing these miracles? They, they don't make sense. They break the laws of science. We don't understand. And yet, that is the very thing that proved Jesus is God, right? One of the ways he proved, because what he was doing was supernatural. There was no explanation for it. And so today, um, the miracle we are looking at is one that seems like an impossibility. And it is because there's no way that it could happen without a miracle. It, it, there's no secret. There's no trick. There's no illusion. There's no explanation. There's no way it could happen without God's intervention. And, and so we are talking about a miracle today that happened in a small place called Bethany. We'll be in John 11. If you have your Bibles, you can flip there. Bethany is a small little town. It's on the backside of the Mount of Olives. So it's not very far from there. But if you're on the Mount of Olives today, you can't really get to Bethany. Uh, you have to go back through a checkpoint, cross over into the West Bank, and then travel to Bethany. Jennifer and I have been to this little town of Bethany. She bought a little pair of candle sandals that she will tell you about if you ask her um, in Bethany from a street vendor. Um, we, there's, there's a church there now built today uh, kind of uh, commemorating Lazarus. Um, and so this is where Mary and Martha and Lazarus lived, right here in Bethany. Um, and so let's pick up the story in John chapter 11. We'll pick it up in verse 1. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus's sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus uh, loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Uh, Mark Batterson in that book said, everyone wants a miracle. But here's the catch. No one wants to be in a situation that necessitates one. Can you, can you relate to that? Of course, you can't have one without the other. The prerequisite for a miracle is a problem. And the bigger the problem, the greater the, the potential miracle. And so this was shaping up to be a pretty big problem. Lazarus was very sick. Uh, his, his sisters are panicking. They're like, Jesus, you've got to get here because we know you can do something about it. And Jesus is like, it's going to be all right. I'm not worried. I'm just going to hang out where I'm at for a few more days. And they're like, but, but you've got to come now. Right? I mean, that's in their mind. They're, they're panicking. They want him there. And, and that kind of brings me to my first point today. When tragedy hits, we have a choice. Do we turn to God or do we turn to blame? Human nature says when something bad happens, it's got to be someone's fault, right? Um, 
Uh, it, it just you see this all the time. And it, it, if you lose a game, it's the coach's fault. It's the referee's fault. It, 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 whatever, I mean, that's a small thing. But, uh, you know, if you get sick, well, it's the doctor's fault for not catching it sooner. Or something bad happens, it's their fault. We, we just immediately, it seems like in our fleshly nature, we go to who can we blame for what has happened. I can tell you who to blame when, when problems happen, when sin happens. You know, it, it's Satan. It's sin. It's the fall. That's why bad things happen. Because we live in a fallen world. We live in a world where sin has corrupted everything. And so when bad things happen, we don't have to say, who, you know, who's at fault? Because we already know. Right? There are times of life... Uh, when we don't understand why things have turned out the way they have. Maybe you've experienced kind of the death of a relationship or the death of a friendship, right? Where all of a sudden that relationship's been broken. Or the death of joy in your life. And you're like, where has my joy gone? But it's in those deep, dark places of life when we don't know where to turn. It's when Jesus shows up and where he shows off. And so I, I, I would say this, right? It's only when we have experienced those dark places that we can experience the joy of the resurrection. And that's what Jesus specializes in. If you kind of skip ahead a little bit, John eleven twenty one, 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, right, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. So Jesus finally gets there. He finally walks in. The first thing they do is just like kind of light into him. Jesus, you should have been here. You let us down. It's your fault. Only you'd been here, my brother would not have died. If you skip ahead to John eleven thirty two. 32. When Mary arrived, here's the other sister, and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you would have been here, my brother would not have died. Same thing. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people welling with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. They both said the exact same thing. If you'd been here, what are they doing? They're, they're looking for blame, right? They're really blaming Jesus. If you would have been here. It's almost like a, a passive-aggressive statement. It's like, we're giving you a compliment because we know you could do something about it, but at the same time, it's your fault. People do that all the time, right? They give you a kind of a compliment but criticize you at the same time. And you don't know how to take it. You're like, is this a good or a bad thing? And that's kind of what happened here a little bit. Um, the sisters are in denial. If, if you study the stages of grief, if you've ever studied that, right? It's, uh, it's denial is the first thing. I, you can't believe it. Then you get angry, and then you start bargaining, and then you get depressed, and then finally you, you, you reach that, that stage of acceptance. And I feel like that's what they're going through at this point. They're in denial. They're angry. They don't understand. They're bargaining with Jesus. It, you, can't, can't you do something? Why, why weren't you here? You know, if you look, it says, you know, if you would have been here, my brother would have not died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. That statement reveals kind of two types of faith. Mark Batterson in his book explained it this way. He said, there's one kind of faith that would be called a preventative 
faith. Right? If you would have been here, my brother would not have died. Preventative faith believes that God can keep things from happening to us. So we pray for protection, right? We pray for traveling mercies. We pray for a hedge of protection, and I don't know why we pray for a hedge. I, isn't there something a little more safe and secure than a hedge? Why don't we pray for a wall or a brick wall or a stone wall or a, I don't know. Why do we pray for a hedge of protection? Have y'all, have y'all ever, if y'all figure that out, let me know. Um, all right. And, and while there's nothing wrong with that, there's a second dimension of faith that would be called resurrection faith, right? It believes that God can undo what's already been done. And, and so that kind of faith is like, right, God, you can still do something about this now. Now, there's times in our life, yes, we pray for that preventative we pray in that preventative way, right? God, protect us. Don't let us get into trouble. Don't let this happen to us. But there's times that we need to pray a, a kind of a prayers and resurrection faith too. God, this has happened, but we know you can still do something about it because God is the God who can resurrect the dead. And so, uh, you know, sometimes tragedy hits. We know that life will never be the same. Uh, I read this again in that book. It said, even when the, the application is denied or the adoption falls through or the business goes bankrupt, you don't put a period there. Even then you believe, uh, even, even then you believe even now, at some point most of us end up with a dream that is buried six feet under failure. In fact, that's true of nearly every dream God has ever given us. But sometimes we need a resurrection faith. And that brings me to my next point. Uh, what changes here? Simple invitation changes everything. Verse 34. Where have you put him? They, he, Jesus asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Lord, come and see. This whole series is titled, Come and See. Because throughout John, this phrase keeps popping up. And, and we see it as an invitation. And, and whether it's Jesus saying, hey, come and see where I'm at. Come and see. Come and be with me in a relationship to the disciples. Here, right, it, it's, it's kind of flipped. Because here, it's Mary and Martha saying, to, giving an invitation to Jesus. Come and see. Come and see where he's been laid. Come and see where he's at. And I love this invitation um, because I think to understand it, you've got to understand some Jewish burial traditions here a little bit. Um, when Lazarus died, um, he, his feet would have been bound at the ankles. His arms would have been tied to his body. They would tie them up with linen strips. Uh, then his dead body would have been wrapped in approximately like 100 pounds of grave clothes to protect and preserve the body. They put all the spices on them to kind of cover uh, the smell, but you know that it's not going to be nice, right? It's not going to be a good thing. And so you think about a hundred pounds of clothes wrapped around you. You're put in a tomb and they leave your, your body there until it decomposes and then they would remove your bones. And that's, kind of, I mean, it's kind of gory, but that's how they did it in that first century. Um, and so... Uh, when someone dies, right, we think it's the end of the story. Batterson said this. He said, when 
Um, some, he, he says, never put a comma where God puts a period and never put a period where God puts a comma. Um, you know, Jesus made a bold prediction earlier that this sickness will not end in death. And, it, and here it looks like Jesus is wrong because Lazarus did die. But the story doesn't end in death. This is just a comma in the story. This is just a pause. This is just an opportunity for God's glory to be displayed. And so the question I would ask you, right, do you invite God to be part of the solution in your life? Do you, do you invite God to, 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 to come in and do something about those things in life that you've already given up on? The places where you have put a period, are you still praying, God, I, I know you are more than able to move into work in my life. You know, I think um, I was reminded of this, and it's an old preacher story. You know, I usually don't share old preacher stories, you kind of know. Um, but there's a story I've heard over and over again over the years, and you know, a fellow was stuck on his rooftop. Have you heard this story? It was, in a, it was, it was a huge flood. He was praying to God for help. All right. Soon a man in a rowboat came by, and, a, and the guy shouted out to the man on the roof, jump in, I, I can save you. And, and so the guy stranded on the roof shouted back, no, it's okay, I, I'm praying to God, and he's going to save me. So the rowboat left. Then a, motor, uh, then a motorboat came by, and the guy in the motorboat shouted, jump in, I can save you. And the same thing, the stranded man said, no thanks, I'm praying to God, and he's going to save me, I have faith. And so the boat left. And then a helicopter came by, and, and the pilot shouted down over the intercom, grab this rope, and I'll lift you to safely. And the stranded man again replied, no thanks, I'm praying to God, and he's going to save me, I have faith. And the helicopter reluctantly flew away. Soon the water rose above the rooftop. The man drowned. He went to heaven. He finally got his chance to discuss this whole situation with God, at which point he exclaimed, I had faith in you, but you didn't save me. You let me drown. I don't understand why. To this, God replied, I sent you a rowboat, a motorboat, and a helicopter. What more did you expect? That is such an illustration, right, of our life sometimes. We're praying, God, do something. He's like, have you opened your eyes? Have you invited me in? Have you given me an opportunity to show my glory? That's what's happening here in this story. God was about to, to demonstrate his power. The people were about to experience the glory of God. Why? Because Mary and Martha didn't give up. Because they extended an invitation to Jesus in the middle of their grief, in the middle of their pain. They said, come and see. You got to see this. And that brings me to my next point. Jesus shows us that God cares about us. Jesus truly does care. And we see that here. Verse 35, shortest verse in the, in the Bible. If you, this is the one the teenagers always you know, memorize for the, the Bible memory challenges, right? John eleven thirty-five. 35, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. And it's not just like, he didn't just like a tear fall. This is like he wept. I mean, this is like hardcore grieving here. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. Some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? You got your, 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 you know, your people mocking in the background. And Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb. A, a cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. 
But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. I think, didn't King James say he stinketh, right? This is, this is bad. This is not going to be good. Um, and so Jesus shows up right in the middle of their deepest sorrow, their deepest pain. He weeps. Um, he lost it. He was upset. And if you've ever endured this type of loss that Mary and Martha experienced, you know that sometimes you need more than a shoulder to cry on. You need someone who can be there and do something about it. Now, um, I have a background. Um, you, some of you know I went to school. I was an engineer, and kind of weird how I got, went from being a mechanical engineer to the ministry. That's another story for another day. But one of the classes I had to take, um, was thermodynamics. Had to take a couple semesters of thermodynamics. And that, doesn't that sound like an interesting class? Um, it's the science of the relationship between heat, work, temperature, energy, all those things. Uh, it just how energy is transferred. And there's a, a second law of thermodynamics that in a closed system, right, if, if a system is left to itself, everything moves towards disorder and, disca- and, de- and decay. That's why, like, if you leave a piece of metal out or your car out in the middle of a field, what happens? It just rusts and it turns back to dust, right? Um, Food rots when you leave it out on the counter. You don't have to do anything to it. It just is going to rot Um, unless it's fast food and then it'll live forever, right? Um, Our bodies, we get old, we die. Things just decay. But that is really the second law of thermodynamics, the law of entropy. Um, And the only way to prevent entropy is to introduce an outside energy source to counteract it. So so the natural law is that when you're dead, you're going to decay. That's just the way nature works. Right? And and so um, you you look at that. Mary and Martha were concerned, right? Because they're like, this is going to be bad. We can't roll the stone away. If you've ever been on vacation and your refrigerator or freezer died and you came back in, can I tell you that is one of the awfulest smells you will ever smell in your life. Amen? Anybody experience that? It stinketh. It's bad. It's like you're probably going to be getting rid of that refrigerator or freezer because you cannot get that smell out of it. Um, And that's how bad, right? It's not good. And yet that is where Jesus is showing up. If he would have simply healed Jesus before he died, I'm sure people would have said, that's just a trick. That's just an illusion. That didn't really happen. There's got to be something. No, Jesus showed up. He showed off. And, And that kind of brings me to my last point this morning. It just shows us what do we really believe about Jesus? John 11, verse 23. Jesus told her, uh, this is a little bit early. Your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise again. When everyone else rises at the last day, Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she told him. I've always believed that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world, world from God. He just point blank at, what do you believe? Who am I? You are the Messiah. You're the, you're the Savior. You're the one who can do this. We still have 
faith. And, and so Jesus, just this point blank question. It's a question that he asked Martha. It's a question he asked us today. Who do you believe that Jesus really is? And if you believe that Jesus really is who he says he is, then are you living like it? Uh, one little yes can change the whole course of your life. It can change your eternity. The only question on God's final exam, exam in your life is, do you believe? That's how important this question really is. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the question we answer with our life. Think about this. Since Lazarus had, had died, everyone was mourning. There, no one was smiling. No one was laughing. Uh, but when he walked out of that tomb, everything changed. Verse 40, let's skip ahead. Jesus responded, Didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And as the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth, Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. One of the most dramatic miracles in the Bible. Again, how, how many pounds of clothes did he have wrapped around? Like 100 pounds. And his feet are tied together. I think he had to be like a bunny rabbit hopping out of that tomb, right? And everybody's going, what's going on? He's like, are you just going to stand there and gawk or are you going to unwrap him? Help a brother out. Let's get him out. And they're like, but what's going on? I mean, this had to be one of the most remarkable miracles in the whole Bible. And it, it just proves with beyond a shadow of, that, of a doubt who Jesus really was. Now, church tradition, we don't have all the story in the Bible. Church tradition tells us that Lazarus went on to live an, a long life after this. So think about this. If he lived another 30 years after this, everybody that came in, weren't you the guy that was in the grave? And, and so while Christianity was starting, the early church, right, there were eyewitnesses that saw what Jesus did. They, if Jesus was an illusionist, people would have said that didn't really happen. I was there. I saw. But the exact opposite happened. People who were there said, we saw it with our own eyes. We experienced it. We see who Jesus really is. Our second life begins when Christ calls us out of the tomb. And that's where sin puts each and every one of us. It puts us in a tomb. We are imprisoned by our sin. We're wrapped up where we can't even move. And the only way we can be freed from that is for Jesus to call us into a relationship with Him. And so each and every week at church, you know, when we learn about Jesus and who He is, don't take the, the, the time when we close at the end, our response time, don't just blow that off and say, okay, let's go and get out of here and, and go get something to eat. I want you to wrestle with this question. What, is, God, are you saying to me? Have you called me out of that grave? Right? Uh, he, our God, He is a miracle worker. He is a promise keeper. He is our light in the, in the darkness. That is who He is. And that's what we're going to celebrate this morning. 
And so if you're a believer here this morning, let's praise God for what he has done in your life. He has called you out of that grave. But if you are here and you're unsure, if you're watching online, wherever it's at this morning, you're like, I don't know. I've never really, I, I've never really put my faith and my trust in Jesus. Then right now is your opportunity. So I'm going to ask all of you, would you guys bow your heads as we close this morning? And would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your goodness, for your greatness. We thank you for who Jesus Christ is, the sinless Son of God. Lord, we confess that we are sinners in need of a Savior. We confess that we have been living in a grave of our own mistakes, our sin, our disappointments. Lord, we know we can't get out of this by ourselves, but you are calling us out. You died on a cross so that we could come alive, so that our sin could be nailed to that cross forever. So right now, Lord, I pray that you would forgive my sin. I pray that you would not make me... Uh, that you would take all that is bad, all that is wrong in my life, and that you uh, would, would just, in exchange, give me the righteousness of God. Lord, I, I'm just praying for you to take over, to transform me, to make me more like Jesus. It's all because of what Jesus did. It's all because of the cross. And today, Lord, I believe, I trust, I put my faith in you. Well, every head's bowed. If you prayed this morning, if that's the, the posture, if that's the desire of your heart, God hears your prayers. He answers your prayers. He's calling you out of that grave this morning. And so this morning, Lord, we thank you for who you are, for what you've done. Would you give us the, the courage we need to go and invite more people to come and see what Jesus is doing? Come and see who this Jesus really is. Come and see what God has done in my life. Lord, we just thank you this morning. You are so good. And you have demonstrated your love towards us. And that while we were sinners, God, Christ died for us. Lord, we just thank you for that. It's in the name of Jesus I pray this morning. Amen.